welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. If you have your Bibles, please open it to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. After the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Genesis, Deuteronomy, a couple more books, and you will reach 1 Samuel. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you got it, say got it. Scott was the first. I would give you candy, but I don't have it. <laughs> All right, and just keep that open. We're going to dive into that in a few minutes here. Thank you. Got it. All right, no more got it. I trust that you guys have got it. When I was a young boy, I had several favorite toys, several favorite gadgets, gizmos, things to entertain myself with. And like many young boys, I liked toy guns. I liked pocket knives. I liked any mechanical like gizmo that I could get my hands on that I could just mess with. I just love that stuff. But among the Pelagon and the slingshot and my very own red craftsman toolbox that my dad gave me, I had a favorite toy that might surprise you, a large magnifying glass. Now, why would I like a magnifying glass? Well, I'll tell you. I got my first one from the Christmas store at school, and when the summer came around, I finally got around to use it as I had intended, which was not to make small print look bigger. On a hot, sunny day, if you position a magnifying glass just right, you can focus the ray of sunlight into a tiny little point that gets, as it turns out, very hot. Right? So I, as a little 10-year-old boy, would go outside and look at the sun and shine it and try and line up my magnifying glass. And I found out that if you put it over a wood chip, it started to smoke. Whoa, okay, this is cool. And if you put it on a leaf... Sometimes it bursts into flames, which was awesome. Like, who doesn't love being able to create fire without a match, right? It's the easiest thing ever. Next came a slew of other experiments, such as figuring out how fast I could melt the plastic army guy, or how quickly would an ant shrivel up if I caught him in the ray, right? It it sounds crazy, but the reason that excited me is because it gave me power. I had control over this little tiny dominion beneath my magnifying glass. And it was exciting. It was cool, right? The thing is, is that we all have a desire within us that craves towards power or control over our lives. And the way that you may have been drawn to it or are drawn to it now, you find yourself going that way, is probably not through a magnifying glass. But the truth is that we all have a sinful tendency of craving towards wanting power in our lives. We want stuff to go our way. We don't like when our plans go awry, when stuff changes on us and we didn't see it coming. 
We don't like external forces or circumstances that are acting on us when changing what we wanted or um, maybe we're not getting what we desired or what we didn't want, now we have to deal with. We feel uncomfortable when life shifts and we feel insecure in the midst of change. We all do. Tonight we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Samuel that shows the time of drastic change and uncertainty in the life of a godly woman named Hannah. My aim in this message is to share with you another attribute of God. If you guys haven't been with us, we've been going through the Attributes of God series, and tonight we're going to be looking at sovereignty. Write that down. S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y. It took me a long time to know how to spell that, and I confess that it was until the first time that I preached on sovereignty that I knew how to spell it, so it's okay. We're going to be looking at tonight what it means that God is sovereign, how Hannah identifies it, and then at the end, I want to give you three responses. So we're going to look at sovereignty, we're going to figure it out, we're going to diagnose, and then we're going to say, okay, how, how does that apply to us? What does that, what does that have to do with me? But before we get too far in our text, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. The kindness that you've shown us in bringing us here safely in the midst of snow. And um, Lord, whatever circumstances in our lives that are going on in the background, we come before you and we lay them at your feet. And we ask that your word would speak to our hearts, that you would penetrate us. Lord, that you would remove the sin that separates us from you and that you would draw us near by your word through your son's blood. We pray all these things according to his name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to read our text now. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides and scoffs at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble put on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, and she, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to seal and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. I love this. And makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the Lord... Pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. He will give strength, or the Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What we come into in the middle of, well, the beginning of 1 Samuel is a very gripping story about a woman named Hannah that we just read the prayer of. 
And Hannah was the wife of a man named Elkanah. And he actually had two wives, which was not in God's plan, but that we can have that from the sermon. <laughs> but what you need to know is that the other wife of Elkanah was able to have many children. And she had many children. And Hannah did not have any. And this grieved Hannah. It put her in a really hard spot. It put enmity in their household. They fought. There was tension. She was mad at her husband. She was mad at God. She had all these emotions and all these hurts within her heart. And so she offers up a prayer to the Lord and says, Lord, if you give me a child, I will commit him his whole life to you. And that's exactly what happens. The Lord gives her a child and he offers, she offers the child whose name is Samuel to the Lord. So this prayer comes right at the heels of her leading her son, her only son, her son Samuel, to the Lord forever, which is pretty incredible. There's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of uncertainty in Hannah's life. And as I said before tonight, we'll be studying the sovereignty of God. Some of you, maybe you've never heard of that word before in your life, before tonight, and probably a number of you would not be able to tell me what that means. It's okay. We're here to learn. We're here to study. But I pray that by the end of the sermon, you will know what it means and you will love it as I do, as God has shown me to love it. If you were to look up a dictionary definition of sovereign, you would probably find something along the lines of having absolute control or having total authority over something. Someone is sovereign when they have total control over something else. In our world, though, you and I don't really interact this as citizens of the United States. We maybe see this in government. We see this in North Korea. I don't know if you guys have ever been involved in world history stuff. North Korea is a sovereign nation state. So there's one person that's in charge of everything. Everything flows through this one man. And this sounds kind of crazy to us, but it was actually really common in biblical times. Most nations were ruled by a king, and if you did not submit to what the king wanted, then you were either killed or kicked out. Kicked out of his protection and his rule. And the unfortunate thing for us is that when we hear the word sovereignty, our minds tend to be colored with what we experience, with the things that we see in this world. My first example, a dictator that controls everything, but... The truth is, is that sovereignty maybe doesn't appear in that word, but it appears in other words, like control or power. Usually when we say that someone is controlling, that's like a huge slam on them. Like, oh yeah, he, she's really controlling. Like, you don't want to be that person, right? We might have a controlling job, a controlling boss at our job. We might have a rude teacher that doesn't seem to care for us. We might have a bully at school that we just can't escape. But all we know about them is that they have power, we don't have power, and they use that power for their own gain at our expense. Anyone ever been there? It's a hard spot. It's a hard spot to be. But a biblical understanding of God's control, or more accurately, his sovereignty, is radically different than the one that we interact with in our world And it's because it's tied to and it is a characteristic of the same God who is also loving and kind and gentle and merciful. God, as a creator and owner of all things, can do whatever he decides to do. We've spent many sermons discussing how God is unlike us, 
how God has power over us, how God can do as he pleases. And that's biblical. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Ephesians 1.11 says that he works all things according to the counsel of his own will. There is no parent over God's shoulder telling him that he needs to clean his room, right? There's no force that acts upon God that says, you need to do this, even though you're not. Or you need to make sure to take care of this. God is self-sustained. He is within himself, the one who creates the rules and the one who acts upon the rules. There is no origin point other than God for command in this universe. He's subjected to no one. He's superior to everyone. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will never fail, will never fade, will never falter. And he he sits seated on his throne in heaven, receiving the glory that he deserves. Verse 2 of our text says that there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. God has power and control over everything. Listen to another passage in Daniel 4, given by a very proud man named King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will, God, among the host of heaven. God does whatever he wants in heaven, and he does whatever he wants among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? No one can stop God's movement. None. There is no one, no thing that can ever stop God's movement. We get another promise of this in Romans chapter 8. It's that God works all things according to the counsel of his will for believers, for those who trust him, who are called according to his purpose. All of these things are acting by God's hand and they can't be stopped by anyone or anything. That should comfort us, even though it often doesn't. When we hear that God has complete power over all things, that no one can stop him in anything, in any of the desires that he has, you might begin to imagine him as more of a tyrant. God, the God that I know, you know, a boss that gets to command and say, you do this, this, and this, and no one can stop him. But God working all things according to his will, his own will, is not a selfish thing to do. It's not for him. And it's because God is the only perfect being in all of creation. In fact, it's actually more loving for God to work things according to his plan and his desires, because they're perfect, rather than letting us try and plan or us try and have these desires that we want God to fit into because they're imperfect. They're sinful. It's most loving to us and glorifying to him for him to act according to the only perfect will in the universe. So now that we have a little understanding of what God's sovereignty is, what are we supposed to do with it? Why is it good news? Well, let's look at three responses to God's sovereignty. We're going to dive a little more into our text here. Point number one, if you're taking notes, humility. This is the first response to God's sovereignty. One of the quickest reactions that we often have towards the sovereignty of God is humility. And it is the one that we see clearly in Hannah's prayer. Look at verse 3 with me. She says, Let talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. 
For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him, actions are weighed. When we're confronted with the reality that God controls, God upholds all things, it's easy to see how unlike him we are. How many of you have ever tried to plan something, and all of your plans just go to crap? It's, everything goes wrong, right? I, I experience that very frequently, okay? Most days, in fact, actually. Side note, I once heard a pastor, he asked, how do you plan your days? And he said, well, in my 40 years of ministry, I've never had a single day go to plan. So it's like, okay, I'm on the right track. <laughs> but that's frustrating to us. Things, go, things are out of our control. But with God, everything that God plans, he accomplishes. Everything that he says that he will do, he does. There is no external force that acts upon God that makes him act a certain way. It's all what he desires to do. He sits in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And what should really humble us about this is that God moves towards sinful humans. Like me. Like you. God has moved towards you. What we do have what do we have to offer that God needs from us? Answer nothing. That's like approaching Elon Musk as a homeless person and offering him a quarter when he has $260 billion. Like he doesn't need your money. It does him no benefit. He does not he's not dependent on us. Likewise, God is not dependent on our action. He's not dependent on our praise. He's not dependent on our love for him. God is the source of all of these things, and he acts towards us and upon us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have dwelled in heaven since before the beginning of time, being perfectly satisfied and happy within himself. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has offered his only son to you. He's offered him in destroying him on the cross so that we might hate the sin that put him there and that we might love the God who would give anything, would offer any sacrifice so that we could know him. He has done that in offering his son. The cross does not prove your worth to God. The cross proves how badly you need rescue. The cross proves how much God is willing to do to rescue you. And who will stop God from being with his people? No one. What did I just say? God works all things and no one can stop him. Ephesians 1.5 reminds us that in love, God has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. God's love motivated him to sovereignly bring his people to himself, and he has adopted us like an orphan brought into a new family, the new home, one that cares for us more than we could ever repay, more than we could ever offer back. And this brings glory to him because of the love that he shows towards us. We should be humbled by the fact that God gives so freely even when he holds out his hand in vain and we turn and we say, not today. I don't want that now. I'm not, I'm not done with my life yet. God's saying, here, take it. 
Take it. Here's the offer. Here's the gift. Accept it. Receive it. Even though he knows we would rebel against him, he still offers that gift. Is that not amazing? Is that not humbling? But the sovereignty of God to work all things according to his own will gives us humility, but it also provides us more. Gives us point number two, peace. Peace. I love the sovereignty of God. It is a great doctrine, and Hannah did too. And though it's good for us to be humbled in light of it, we should also be encouraged by what else it offers. The fact that all things are held in the hands of a loving God provides us with great peace in very troubling times. Look at verse 9 with me now. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Remember the context that we read this prayer in, how Hannah's life is dramatically changing forever. She's losing that which she loves most to her. She prayed for years for this offering to be given to her and a son, and now she's offering it back to the Lord. But praise God for his sovereignty over all things, because it creates peace in the most troubling circumstances we can imagine. When everything is crumbling, it creates peace in times of change, uncertainty. It creates peace when our friend betrays us. God's sovereignty creates peace when we hear a cancer diagnosis in our family. It creates peace when your parents tell you that there's, there's no more money in the account. We don't have any more money. It creates peace in that moment. It creates peace when we get a call saying that our grandmother has gone to be with the Lord. And when the word of God soaks deeply into our soul... That verse 6 is true, that God kills and God brings to life. And that verse 7 is true, that the Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. And that we truly believe that verse 8, God raises up the poor and needy and he seats them in the heavenly places with the princes. That we have a great inheritance. It means that whatever circumstances you and I are facing in our lives, they're all subordinate. They're all underneath God. God is not, is not acted upon by these forces. God acts over these forces. They are beneath him. And he has power over all of them. But with humility and peace, there's one more thing that I want to draw from this text. Because we know that Christ, that God reigns over all, he is sovereign over all, we are also equipped, point number three, with confidence. And with great confidence indeed. Hannah's prayer shows us this reality as well. Follow with me in verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. How sweet it is to know that God will reconcile all evil Have you ever felt that life was unfair? (laughs) I have. (laughs) Felt that a lot of times. Feels unfair a lot of times. It often feels that when everything in this world is going awry, when all these evil and greed 
pride, hate, violence. Everything is surrounding us. There's dissension in our government. There's dissension in our churches. There's enmity. There's hatred. All these things. It is so encouraging to know that God will reconcile all evil. It will all be avenged. We don't have to take vengeance. We don't have to take revenge on people for the wrongs that they have done towards us. It can be easy to wave our fists at the Lord and say, where are you, God? If you're really there, why aren't you doing something about this? If this has been your heart in the past, or maybe it is right now, let me remind you of Hannah's Hannah's consolation. The adversaries will be broken. Those who fight against you will meet their judgment. The heavens will thunder against them. The Lord of all will judge perfectly their actions. How freeing is that? That you don't have to be the one who shows the retribution. That you don't have to be the one that makes things just. Because a perfectly just Father in heaven is doing that and will do that. We can just rejoice and say, God, it's in your hands. All I get to do is love. I get to show Christ in my life, in my words, in my actions. We can know that the sovereignty of God gives us confidence because he will reconcile every sin. Every sin. In the end. Every evil act and deed that has ever been committed. And the last nugget of truth that I want to present you with tonight is at the very end of our verse. The Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, this is a prophetic word by the Holy Spirit through Hannah saying that the Lord will raise up a king that will be exalted as the anointed one. This king, Christ, will reign on a throne that will forever be praised because of his infinite value and worth. Jesus is that king. And he is seated on a throne in heaven receiving praises for all time and his throne will never be taken away from him. He is sovereign over it. He is sovereign over all. This ought to bring our hearts great confidence that the one that we serve that asks for our lives, that asks for us to repent, to turn from our sins and to believe and trust in him will never have his throne taken from him. He's always going to be in heaven ruling and reigning, interceding on our behalf. And that is great news to us. Let's pray in light of this.